0: Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, I'm extremely excited because as a lifelong product marketer, we are going to talk about one of my absolute favorite topics, and I think one of the biggest opportunities and sometimes mistakes that we see product marketers make. And today to help us do that is Adrian Barnes, founder of Best Buyer Personas. Hi, Adrian.
1: Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. All
0: right, Adrian. I am, as I know you are, really passionate about buyer personas. Mm-hmm. I think they can be so powerful as a way to help us understand who we're communicating with. So we are communicating and not talking at them. And I see too many people who don't embrace them and do them and too many people who maybe don't do them quite as well as we would like them to do. Yeah. And I know this is this is where you sort of life work, right, is is really helping people get this and get this right. So first tell me and the listeners a little bit more about your background and your organization. And then we can talk how you guys view personas and maybe a little bit of the the differences you bring.
1: Yeah, so I'm Adrienne, like Rebecca said, and the founder of Best Buyer Persona. And Best Buyer Persona, it really stemmed from noticing a need in my clients. I started work and freelancing almost five years ago now, as a freelance writer. And when I would begin with a new client, I would sit down with the, it was usually a one marketing team. Those were kind of the, the startups that I was working with, usually in B2B tech, B2B SaaS. And I would say, okay, so who am I writing to? Who is our audience? What are some like issues they're having, problems they're having that I could like write about in the content that's gonna help them along their journey. And most of the responses were, well, it's here's a job title and here's a couple pain points they may have. Or we don't really know yet. We're still figuring that out, but just write this piece with these keywords. Or the opposite was they would have a huge persona deck that was 25 to 50 slides. And it was just filled with useless, what felt to me as someone who was trying to execute on the content and actually on some material, useless information. It was you know about more necessary the things about like, oh, you know, Mary Marketer loves the color red and she has three kids and drives a Suburban and, you know, struggles with meeting sales quota, like whatever the things were, they were just kind of these abstract pieces of information and facts that didn't really measure really well or go back to the issue of how do I serve this audience? How do I actually write something that's going to help them? So after working with a dozen or so freelance writing b 2 b sick. B2B tech clients realized this is just kind of a universal issue. People don't really know who their audience is in a meaningful way. And then I did have the opportunity to work with some people who really did know their buyer personas, but they weren't calling on buyer personas. They weren't weren't calling this information their buyer persona document. It was like, well, here's all of the research we've done. And it would be like, well, that's what I think a buyer persona should be. And then after doing some research and really trying to figure out how do I research about audiences? How do I interview, um, you know, audience members and customers and buyers and doing a lot of research on qualitative data and research, I came across the jobs to be done method. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, so this plus the jobs to be done, that is what a buyer persona could and should be. And that was really the birth of best buyer persona.
0: Oh, I love that. Two uh, two great things, right? Personas and jobs to be done. Who and what and why? I think yes. the jobs to be done is a lot of the why. So let's talk a little bit about the process. So I clearly see the need. I'm sure you did as well. So talk about when you are building a persona or teaching someone to what is sort of the process you walk them through.
1: Yeah. So I get asked a lot, well, do you have a template that we could use? Could you just, could you just give me a template? And I my response is always, no, we don't have a template because I feel like what a template is going to do is it's going to sit you in a box and then basically you're just going to fill in the blanks and then you're going to call that persona and you're never going to use it or look at it again. So the reason I really do stress the importance of having a process for learning about your customers over a template is because that's where the true information and the true value is going to come from. So what we do, what we really emphasize is we do four Prongs to research basically is what I call it. We have our one to one customer interviews, and we do 20 of those for every buyer persona project. And that gives us really some good analysis on the why they buy. Why do they behave the way they do? Why are they doing those things? And then we do social listening and digital intelligence analysis. And that gives us the what. How do they behave? What are they doing? How do they refer to themselves online? What communities are they a part of? All of those different kinds of behaviors that we can track and we can see digitally either through social listening or through, I use a tool called SparkToro and another tool called Audience. And those really gives me that kind of those behavioral information. And then the fourth approach to research is surveys. So we, have, we see our why at a larger audience. It's almost like a, the potential of behavior. What do we think they're doing? What does it look like they're doing using some keywords and just some kind of great hypothesis type stuff. And then the survey really gives us, this is coming from our actual customers. So a lot of the information that we based our buyer personas on is not just, well, let's go dig into data and kind of make some assumptions. It is based on information and answers from our actual buyers. So we're not creating fictional characters. We are gathering actual buyer data And then relaying that in a way that's going to be useful and meaningful to product teams, to marketing teams, to strategy, you know, your C-suite creating strategy for the next year, customer service. It really does become the kind of information that everyone across an organization can use.
0: So you know, you bring up a good point, right? So the personas are not just for the writers and the marketers; but they're really powerful for the whole organization. Um, and another area where I think we sometimes see organizations fall down a little bit is is how do they both sort of introduce the personas to the wider organizations, and then how do they keep them alive? So in your in your work and in the companies you've seen, what are some of the Things you've seen companies do really well that help those personas spread throughout the organization and stay alive, and maybe some of the places where where there's some common pitfalls that some of our listeners might fall in.
1: Yeah. So one of the ways that we combat this at Best Buy our persona is I start always every project with the very end in mind. So if I know that I want the product manager, the product marketer, the CMO, the CEO and, you know, your customer support to buy in to the buyer persona, to really believe in what uh, the data we found, to find it valuable. I have to start with them at the very beginning. So I don't just say, okay, we're going to go and we're going to do all this research without any input from leadership and then, you know, present it to leadership and say, here it is. And you should really appreciate this. And this is everything you were wanting. So I start with key stakeholder interviews, So if I need them to buy into the buyer persona at the end of the project, I want to talk to them at the very beginning. And I ask them three simple questions. It's what do you absolutely know for certain about your buyers? What are you assuming about your buyers? And what do you need to know about your buyers in the next 12 months to make the next 12 months successful or your next initiative successful? And that really does help doing those one thing ensures that I'm gathering the kind of information that they're going to need and that they're going to find valuable at the very end. And if I do, if I've done that, right, which usually we do throughout the research process, when it's presented to them and they're able to see it, th- that leadership is like, oh, that's, that's what I need to know. Okay. So they take that to their team and they say, look, this is what we've just learned. We, we had these questions. We've got these answers. Now let's go and create the strategy and execute based upon that. So it does really, in order to implement something that's going to be useful at the end, you have to consider it at the very, very beginning and start there.
0: What happens if, if they say something they absolutely know that you find is not the case?
1: So sometimes that does happen. They're like, well, or we have this question. This thing is, you know, why is it difficult to find this audience? We're having a hard time finding them. So I'm like, okay, I go and I do the research and sometimes I've come back And the answer is you were right. It is hard to find them. And I can give them like, here's why X, 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 they, you know, it's not, they're not an easy uh, group of people. They're not, they're not, they don't have the same job titles, like whatever the information may found that does happen sometimes. Absolutely. Like your leadership is in leadership for a reason. They're not, you know, silly. They're not dumb. They're not just like you know, clowns going off and making strategy decisions based on nothing. There's so much data and so much information nowadays that most people have a good idea of who their customer base and what's going on, but it's the the nuances of why. So they can have these questions. And even if I come back and say, yeah, you were right in saying that this was the situation, but here's why. So it adds a lot more nuance and they have a better understanding of like why they were right or why they were wrong in the first place. And And that adds a lot of interesting ways in order to create the strategy around those answers, essentially.
0: Right. I think one of the other things that we hear a lot when we talk about personas is questions about like, how many personas do I need? And they want like a really firm, specific answer. Like you need three, Um, right? But that's not the case. There's some really, I think, interesting ways and interesting approaches that you have in a sort of how to segment your audience and kind of determine what various personas you have. So maybe we could talk a little bit about that.
1: Yes, absolutely, and that's a wonderful question. I just actually answered that question in my newsletter this week, so I know it's something that's pressing. I get it. I get asked, "How many personas will you find, or how many personas should we have?" Pretty much at the beginning of every uh, buyer persona project. So my answer is the frustrating marketing response of "It depends," and here's why it depends. If I, as a consultant or a contractor, third party, come in and say, "We're going to find," Six personas before we even have begun anything, any research, and I'm charging you X amount per persona. Well, I mean, I don't know. That just to me, that seems crazy. As a business owner trying to sell a process and a service, that's almost fraudulent. Like I'm the one who's going to go find them. So, of course, I could find as many, I could segment people and divide them up in as many ways as possible that I want to. But that's not actually beneficial to my clients or to my customers. So, when you're looking for someone to do this work or you're starting out to do this work, there are norms. Like normally projects have three to five. That's just kind of what I've normally seen, what's an average take. But I'm not gonna tell you how many I'm going to find before we begin because I haven't started any of the research. And the way that we segment at Best Buy Our Persona is by jobs to be done. So I take all of the data, all of that one-to-one customer interview data, the survey the digital intelligence, the social listening. I take all of that and I divide it up into jobs. I basically put all of the information into little buckets and I start seeing commonalities and what different people are trying to accomplish. And it becomes pretty clear after listening to the interviews over and over again and sitting on the survey data and just kind of reviewing it and sitting in that spot that there are natural buckets of people trying to achieve particular things with your product. So that's how I segment them. So it's really difficult to, at the beginning of the project to say, yeah, we're going to find three and I'm going to charge you X amount per persona. So what we do is it's just a flat rate. Basically every project runs through the same process. So it's a flat rate. Then we have as many personas as needed at the end. But the way, because we segment according to job to be done, there's stronger segments and it actually helps create fewer segments. We're not segmenting according to, demographics or a job title or gender or age, any of that stuff that's so fleeting and you know, not actually accurate. When we segment according to job to be done, we're creating these stronger segments that really are actually going to help us keep us focused on serving our customers and their pain points well.
0: So it's the jobs to be done. Do you think, so in your point of view, that is the biggest signal of the type of language and areas, the, the, the clearest connection to persona? Yeah. into the deliverables is the is the problems they're trying to solve.
1: Yes, absolutely. When you can connect your persona, like any campaign material or product features or launches, when you can really connect that to solving your buyer's actual problems and walking them through, you know, we know by now buyer's journeys are not linear, but we also have an understanding that, you know, people are coming to us for certain reasons. They're coming to us to help them achieve something, do something, solve something, uh, learn something. And when you can really group those people together, it gives you a stronger way aligning each one of those key points internally to your buyer's actual problems or concerns or whatever issue um, they've come to you for, whatever job they're asking you to solve for them. So you really then can say, okay, well, we now know these four different jobs are trying to be accomplished with our product. Let's now make sure that we've got content that's going to help each one of them. That speaks to each one of them. Another thing we do is we create what I call relational keywords. And that is the words that your buyers use in relation to your product or service. So really it's like, how do they mention, how do they talk about your product, your tool? And then that can line directly to copy and content and all of that. And so each one of those are different for each persona, for each job to be done. And so aligning all of that to marketing and product really does create just a clear, you've got measurement there, clear ways to measure success and, you know, all of the different metrics that you need. It's really easily to, to align those all together.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're definitely preaching to the pragmatic chorus in terms of making sure that the problems you're solving, as you call jobs to be done, are what you use to both segment and then what you use to, what you use to focus messaging around. It mm. is all about the market problems and how we solve them. So do you have any examples in your work? I know we all in this kind of work do a lot of stuff with, with clients where we can't share the specifics, but stories of organizations where you've gone in and created personas and really been able to see the power that they've had in those organizations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now I am under like some solid NDAs because obviously persona information is private, and you know it's foundational and crucial to pretty much the roadmaps and every piece of internal strategy that my clients use. But I can say that you know I've had clients who have gone through attributions, and they're they're high, you know they're buying other companies that that can be a challenging situation, right? When it's like now you're one larger company, but you've got three or for many companies inside of the companies and you're trying to streamline it all. And so that's pretty cool is when we came in and it was like, all right, we're going to try to find the personas now for the entire enterprise organization, not just each little company having its own product and its own, like still running internally as little companies. And um, We wanted to really form it all into one large organization. So uh, that attribution client was pretty interesting. It was a really cool project. I was able to really get into the depths of, it wasn't even just, oh, each new you know attributed company had its own personas. They really did see that a lot of people coming to the one larger enterprise company had similar pain points for the similar personas. So we were able to compile and condense personas into a way that just made a lot more sense for the entire company overall. And then they were able to execute on that and have a much more streamlined branding, streamlined execution, marketing, the whole thing. It kind of like helped the entire organization organized themselves with a, with a singular focus under the new personas. And that was really interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons I think the segmentation you talk about is so important. You know, as powerful as having personas is, being able to focus on just the right ones is, is like equally powerful. Having none is a problem, but having too many is also a problem. And it leads to very scattered efforts and very scattered sort of messaging. And so I could see how that kind of impact would be really powerful.
1: Yes. Oh my goodness. I told this story in my newsletter this last weekend where I was on a call with a gentleman who had built a persona product essentially. And it turned out to be a demo call where I thought it was going to be like a partnership call, but his main takeaway, which I think was supposed to be a bragging point was that he helped one company create 200 personas. Oh, Yes. And when he said that my jaw kind of dropped and I was like, "Wait. Like even PG&E, like those huge companies, enterprise that are global and have hundreds of products, I they don't even have 200 personas." So I was like, "Who and why?" And like did they then go turn around and create 200 marketing campaigns and 200 different sales assets and I think that the takeaway that he was trying to express was that his product was so great it created 200 in no time. But my takeaway as somebody who has a high value and a high standard of what a persona should be was like, dude, that's trash. I'm sorry, but nobody is using 200 personas. So yes, to your point, like I want to find the best way that's going to segment, you know, their buyers and their customers, their users in a way that really makes them stronger segments. That way we basically one of the way we do personas is you're not going to find a merry marketer who's 28 or anything like that. The way we name them is not people's names. We, we identify age, but we don't make the persona a fictional character. It is a document. It's segmented according to job. So I agree. Like the more in persona world, the more is not the merrier. The more you have personas does not mean the more information or the more you know your buyers. It's a lot more nuanced than that for sure.
0: It's interesting though. I am intrigued by the the lack of sort of the name and part of it is I, is i i see this on the other side right where people treat b2b marketing as if there's no emotions involved in the buying decision right and that's mm-hmm. just not it's not the case there's there's significant research that shows that and i also am a big proponent that if you don't you know really understand who you're writing to or communicating with you know you're not communicating you're talking at them and nobody likes yeah. that so I'm interested in the idea of not using a name and how you still keep that, A, empathy, uh, which I think is important for the organization to have, and and still keep that sort of tone in the communication that feels human.
1: Right. Yeah. So I'm, I love that you brought up empathy. So I argue, and in my thinking, leaving the name out actually creates space for more empathy in the marketing. So when we create a Mary marketer, who's a white female, who's 23, who is brand new or whatever the situation may be there. Number one, they're always, it creates bias. There are different types of bias that you get. Uh, beauty bias, number one, because I've never seen a, a picture of a persona who wasn't like a Google stock searched image <laughs> model. So also a race, like why Are we creating the personas with races? It feels like we're pretending that hundreds or millions, depending upon the size of your organization of people can be reflected by the image of one person. And that to me does not create empathy. It creates stereotype and it creates judgment. So when we have someone else who doesn't look like what we've been told our persona is come in and have questions or or want to use our product or is up in customer service, subconsciously, not even maybe even consciously, the thought is, well, you're not our best buyer. You don't look like our best buyer. And maybe they're not treated as well. Maybe they're not even acknowledged. Maybe it's thought that they don't have the resources to be a best buyer, whatever the situation may be. So there's beauty bias. There's age bias. There's this, you know, obviously racism can come into play and people say, well, we make our personas diverse, but you're still not being accurate. Like we are marketers. And my point is not to be political. My point is to help businesses make more money. So, if at the end of the day, though, you have, a, let's say, 48% of your audience is female, and the other, I'm not going to do math, is 52% is male, and you've created a male buyer persona, and now we are creating content that's more male focused and male and sounding and male, you know, call to actions or whatever the case may be with a more masculine tone. You're actually eliminating 48% of your customer base. And that's a large amount of money to just completely ignore. But when we can take it and say, okay, this is the pain, this is the job people are trying to accomplish. Now I'll name them something, like, but according to more of this segment, if maybe they're they're the high users or they are, you know, struggling with the, the system, you know, whatever the case may be, but it's not a person. We're not going to stand here and pretend it's a person. But then when you create your marketing content yourself, if you're the executor of the content, if you're the executor of the ad, or if you're the one writing the email marketing, that one person should be able to say, okay, I know the pains and the, the job of our overall audience. Now I want to write to just one person. And it should be more of the job of that, the, the person executing to create the humanity inside of the piece. Whereas the strategy and the overall goals and, and the, the feature launches and the larger stuff should be done with an acknowledgement that we've segmented a lot of people according to one like, job or one aspect. So even that, taking that into account for me seems like a more empathetic approach than pretending that it's one person from the very, very beginning.
0: I mean, I think I could see advantages to both sides. I'd like to overlay Right, like I'd like to do a little bit of both, because in both cases, I mean, one of the reasons you do personas and segmentation is you have to figure out where the segmentations that we're using are meaningful. And I think there may be a layer that is on top of jobs to be done that, within there, just from a messaging perspective, right? I could be Mm -hmm. accomplishing the same thing, but the language that would, you know, kind of me to action would be different. The ones that would speak to me would be different. And there may be just from a execution perspective, another layer that I would want to do as a uh, yeah. and it's, and it's not meant to be, you know, all women don't reply to, you know, don't respond to the same type of language and neither do all men, but there, and, and so those may not, those may not be meaningful parts, but I think I see the advantages, but I also struggle as just a communicator with losing some of the Making sure that I can use the jobs to be done approach to be enough human in my communication because I think it's so powerful. And again, because I see on the other side of the clients we work with too often, they leave that part out of B2B.
1: They don't think yeah. it matters.
0: So okay. it's, it's, a, it's, it's trying to figure out the balance and it's a really interesting, While well, basing it on problems I'm, I'm all in, but then I want to make sure I don't, I don't feel like I want to use that in a way to anonymize some of the characteristics that I think can make for powerful communication.
1: Yeah. And I totally, like that is absolutely accurate. So I also do content strategies for B2B SaaS as like a content lead. And as someone who's running the communications and messaging, all of that stuff for me gets layered into the content messaging guide, essentially, like how are we communicating with people on the outside? So I take the buyer persona information, the larger stuff, and then four specifically, the marketing team, content marketing, people writing and executing. I'm like, okay, here, now that we know all of this stuff, the job and their pain points and their relational keywords, here's how we're going to execute and really humanize this. And that becomes that core foundational message mm. guide, a part of the content team.
0: And that makes Absolutely. complete sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, because the other thing is like, I, I can't, uh, you know, it's hard from a, you know, I can't, the jobs to be done is not something I can go get a, a digital advertising list of, right? Like there's uh, not an advertise, but you know what I mean? Like if I'm trying to segment and target my digital ads, I right. also need to break it down into different levels. But I can see that that is perhaps a problem I am more acutely aware of on the, on it, you know, also managing the marketing communication execution team. But I could also see that, that those details within a persona document that's more for a wider audience is probably a distraction.
1: Yeah, I think so
0: necessary down the line, but perhaps a distraction at that spot. Okay. We talked a lot about lots of different things because obviously an area we're both passionate about. If you could have our listeners do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would it be?
1: Number one, talk to your customers. Mm -hmm. Ask them those questions. Get on the phone and just do it a little bit at a time. Have one customer conversation a week. And I think that goes for you know, most in the organization, maybe not everybody in the organization, but if you are leading a team, if you're creating content, if you're creating products, if you're building features, if you're the one who's, you know, in charge of executing, make sure you just try to get on the phone. And if you can't get on the phone, listen to a sales call and it, or talk to the sales reps. And if you can't do that, ask them to record their sales conversations and listen to those, like try to get as close to the customer as you absolutely can. I would say that that Alone can create some huge shifts in understanding and empathy and in quite a bit of insights.
0: Excellent advice. All right, Adrian, this was a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you joining us today. Well, thank you, Rebecca. It was so great. Awesome. Well, hopefully we'll get to talk again soon. And thank you everybody for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you po- elevate your product, your company, and your career.